Guns of the Mountains by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Guns of the Mountains by Robert Howard. This business begun with Uncle Garfield Elkins coming up from Texas to visit us between Grizzly Run and Chawed Ear, the stage got held up by some masked bandits, and Uncle Garfield, never being able to forget that he was a gun-fighting fool thirty or forty years ago, pulled his old cap and ball instead of putting up his hands like he was advised to. For some reason, instead of blowing out his light, they merely busted him over the head with a forty-five barrel, and when he come to, he was rattling on his way toward Chaudier with the other passengers, minus his money and watch. It was his watch what caused the trouble. That there timepiece had been his grandpaps, and Uncle Garfield sought more store by it than he did all his kinfolks. When he arriv up in the Humboldt Mountains where our cabin was, he immediately let into howling his woes to the stars like a wolf with a bellyache. And from then on, we heard nothing but that watch. I'd saw it, and thunk very little of it. It was as big as my fist, and wound up with a key which Uncle Garfield was always losing and looking for. But it was solid gold, and he called it a heirloom whatever them things is, and he nigh driv the family crazy. A passel of big hulks like you all, sitting around letting an old man get robbed of all his property, he would say bitterly. When I was a young buck, if an my uncle had been abused that way, I'd a took the trail and never slept nor et till I brung back his watch and the scalp of the skunk which stole it. Men nowadays, and so on, and so on, till I felt like drowning the old jassick in a barrel of corn liquor. Finally, Pap says to me, combing his beard with his fingers, Breckenridge, says he, I've endured Uncle Garfield's belly aching all I aim to. I want you to go look for his cussed watch and don't come back without it. How am I gonna know where to look, I protested, aghast. The fellow which got it may be in California or Mexico by now. I realizes the difficulties, says Pat, but if Uncle Garfield knows somebody's out looking for his darn timepiece, maybe he'll give the rest of us some peace. You get going, and if you can't find that watch, don't come back till after Uncle Garfield has went home. How long is he going to stay? I demanded. Well, said Pap, Uncle Garfield's visits all his lasts a year at least. At this I bust into profanity. I said, I've got to stay away from home a year Dang it, Pap, Jim Braxton'll steal Ellen Reynolds away from me whilst I'm gone. I've been courting that girl till I'm ready to fall dead. I done licked her old man three times, 
And now, just when I got her looking my way, you tell me I gotta up and leave her for a year for that dern Jim Braxton to have no competition with? You gotta choose between Ellen Reynolds and your own flesh and blood, said Pap. I'm darned if I'll listen to Uncle Garfield squawks any longer. You make your own choice. But if you don't choose to do what I asked you to, I'll fill your hide with buckshot every time I see you from now on. Well, the result of that was that I was presently riding morosely away from home and Ellen Reynolds, and in the general direction of where Uncle Garfield's blasted watch might possibly be. I passed by the Braxton cabin with the intention of dropping Jim a warning about his actions whilst I was gone, but he wasn't there, so I issued a general defiance to the family by slinging a forty-five slug through the winder, which knocked a cob pipe out of old man Braxton's mouth. That soothed me a little, but I knowed very well that Jim would make a bee-line for the Reynolds cabin the second I was out of sight. I could just see him gorging on Ellen's bear meat and honey and bragging on himself. I hoped Ellen would notice the difference between a loud-mouthed boaster like him and a quiet, modest young man like me, which never bragged though admittedly the biggest man and the best fighter in the Humboldts. I hoped to meet Jim somewhere in the woods as I rode down the trail, for I was intending to do something to kind of impede his courting while I was gone, like breaking his leg or something, but luck wasn't with me. I headed in the general direction of Chaudier, and the next day seen me riding in gloomy grandeur through a country quite distant from Ellen Reynolds. Pap always said my curiosity'd be at the ruination of me some day, but I never could listen to guns popping up in the mountains without wanting to find out who was killing who. So that morning, when I heard the rifles talking off amongst the trees, I turned Captain Kidd aside and left the trail and rode in the direction of the noise. A dim path wound up through the big boulders and bushes, and the shooting kept getting louder. Pretty soon I come out into a glade, and just as I did, bam! Somebody let go at me from the bushes, and a forty-five seventy slug cut both my bridle reins nearly in half. I instantly returned the shot with my forty-five, getting just a glimpse of something in the brush, and a man let out a squall and jumped out into the open, wringing his hands. My bullet had hit the lock of his Winchester, and mighty nigh jarred his hands off him. Cease that ungodly noise, I said sternly, pointing my forty-five at his bay winder, and tell me how come you waylays innocent travelers. He quit working his fingers, moaning, and said, I thought you was Joel Carn, the outlaw. You're about his size. Well, I ain't, I said. I'm Breckenridge Elkins, from the Humboldts. I was just riding over to learn what all the shooting was about. The guns was firing in the trees behind the fella, and someone yelled what was the matter. Ain't nothing the matter, he hollered back. Just a misunderstanding. And he said to me, I'm glad to see you, Elkins. We need a man like you. I'm Sheriff Dick Hopkins from Grizzly Run.
Where at's your star? I inquired. I lost it in the brush, he said. Me and my deputies have been chasing Tarantula Bixby and his gang for a day and a night, and we got em cornered over there in the old deserted cabin in the holler. The boys is shooting at em now. I heard you coming up the trail and snuck over to see who it is. Just as I said, I thought you was Kern. Come on with me. You can help us. I ain't no deputy, I said. I got nothing against Tarantula Bixby. Well, you want to uphold the law, don't you? He said. Nah, I said. Well, gee whiz, he wailed. If you ain't a hell of a citizen, the country's going to the dogs. What chance has an honest man got? Oh, shut up, I said. I'll go over and see the fun anyhow. So he picked up his gun. I tied Captain Kidd and followed the sheriff through the trees till we come to some rocks and there was four men laying behind them rocks and shooting down into a holler. The hill sloped away mighty steep into a small basin that was just like a bowl, with a rim of slopes all around. In the middle of this bowl was a cabin, and puffs of smoke was coming from the cracks between the logs. The men behind the rocks looked at me in surprise, and one of them said, What the hell? But the sheriff scowled at him and said, Boys, this here's Breck Elkins. I done told him already about us being a posse from Grizzly Run and about how we got Tarantula Bixby and two of his cutthroats trapped in that there cabin. One of the deputies bust into a guffaw and Hopkins glared at him and said, What you laughing about, you spotted hyener? I swallowed my tobacker, and that always gives me the hystericals, mumbled the deputy, looking the other way. Hold up your right hand, Elkins, requested Hopkins, so I done so, wondering what for, and he said, Does you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, e pluribus unum anno dominecker to wit in status quo? What the hell are you talking about, I demanded. Them which God has giant asunder let no man put together, said Hopkins. Whatever you say will be used against you, and the Lord have mercy on your soul. That means you're a deputy. I just swore you in. Go sit on a tack, I said disgustedly. Go catch your own thieves. And don't look at me like that. I might bend a gun over your skull. But, Elkins, pleaded Hopkins, with your help we can catch them rats easy. All you got to do is lay up here behind this big rock and shoot at the cabin and keep em occupied till we can sneak round and rush em from the rear. See, the brush comes down pretty close at the foot of the slope on the other side and gives us cover. We can do it easy with someone keeping their attention over here. I'll give you part of the reward. I don't want no darn blood money, I said, backing away. And besides, ow! I'd absent-mindedly backed out from behind the big rock where I'd been standing and a thirty-thirty slug burned its way across the seat of my breeches. "'Turn them murderers!' I bellered, seeing red. "'Give me a rifle. I'll learn em to shoot a man behind his back. Go on, take em in the rear. I'll keep em busy.' "'Good boy,' said Hopkins. "'You'll get plenty for this.' It sounded like somebody was snickering to themselves as they snuck away, but I give no heed. I squinted cautiously around the big boulder and began sniping at the cabin. 
All I could see to shoot at was the puffs of smoke which marked the cracks they was shooting through. But from the cussing and yelling which begun to float up from the shack, I must have throwed some lead mighty close to them. They kept shooting back, and the bullets splashed and buzzed on the rocks, and I kept looking at the further slope for some sign of Sheriff Hopkins and the posse. But all I heard was a sound of horses galloping away toward the west. I wondered who it could be, and I kept expecting the posse to rush down the opposite slope and take them desperados in the rear. And whilst I was craning my neck around the corner of the boulder, whang! A bullet smashed into the rock a few inches from my face, and a sliver of stone took a notch out of my ear. I don't know of nothing that makes me madder than to get shot in the ear. I seen red and didn't even shoot back. A mere rifle was too paltry to satisfy me. Suddenly I realized that the big boulder in front of me was just poised on the slope, its underside partly embedded in the earth. I throwed down my rifle and bent my knees and spread my arms and gripped. I shook the sweat and blood out of my eyes and bellered so them in the holler could hear me. I'm giving you all a chance to surrender. Come out, your hands up. They gave loud and sarcastic jeers, and I yelled back, All right, you ring-tailed jackasses, if you get squished like a pancake, it's your own fault. Here she comes. And I heaved with all I had. The veins stood out on my temples, my feet sunk into the ground, but the earth bulged and cracked all around the big rock. Rivlets of dirt begun to trickle down, and the big boulder groaned, gave way, and lurched over. A dumbfounded yell riz from the cabin. I leapt behind a bush, but the outlaws was too surprised to shoot at me. That enormous boulder was tumbling down the hill, crushing bushes flat and gathering speed as it rolled, and the cabin was right in its path. Wild yells bust the air, the door was thrown violently open, and a man hove into view. Just as he started out of the door, I let Bam at him, and he howled and ducked back, just like anybody will, when a forty-five ninety slug knocks their hat off. The next instant that thundering boulder hit the cabin. Smash! It knocked it sidewise like a tin pin and caved in the wall. The whole structure collapsed in a cloud of dust and bark and splinters. I run down the slope, and from the yells which issued from under the ruins, I knowed they hadn't all been killed. "'Does you all surrender?' I roared. "'Yeah, darn it,' they squalled. "'Get us out from under this landslide.' "'Throw out your guns,' I ordered. "'How in hell can we throw anything?' they hollered wrathfully. We're pinned down by a ton of rocks and boards, and we're being squozed to death. Help! Murder! Ah, shut up, I said. You don't hear me carrying on in no such hysterical way, does you? Well, they moaned and complained, and I sought to work dragging the ruins off them, which wasn't no great task. Pretty soon I seen a booted leg, and I laid hold of it and dragged out the critter it was fastened to and he looked more done up than what my brother Bill did that time he wrestled a mountain lion for a bet. I took his pistol out of his belt, 
laid him down on the ground, and got the others out. There was three altogether, and I disarmed them and laid them out in a row. Their clothes was nearly tore off, and they was bruised and scratched, and had splinters in their hair, but they wasn't hurt permanent. They sot up and fell to theirselves, and one of them said, This here is the first earthquake I ever seen in this country. Twarn't no earthquake, said another. It was an avalanche. Listen here, Joe Partland, said the first one, grinding his teeth. I says it was an earthquake, and I ain't the man to be called a liar. Oh, you ain't, said the other, bristling up. Well, let me tell you something, Frank Jackson. This ain't no time for such arguments, I admonished them sternly. As for that there rock, I rolled that at you myself. They gaped at me. Who are you? said one of them, mopping the blood off of his ear. Never mind, I said. You see this here Winchester? Well, you all set still and rest yourselves. Soon as the sheriff gets here, I'm going to hand you over to him. His mouth fell open. Sheriff, he said dumb-like. What sheriff? Dick Hopkins from Grizzly Run, I said. Why, you darn fool, he screamed, scrambling up. Sit down, I roared, and shoved my rifle barrel at him. He sank back, all white and shaking. He could hardly talk. Listen to me, he gasped. I'm Dick Hopkins. I'm Sheriff of Grizzly Run. These men are my deputies. Yeah, I said sarcastically. And who was the fellow shooting at you from the brush? Tarantula Bixby and his gang, he said. We was follering em when they jumped us, and being outnumbered and surprised, we took cover in that old hut. They robbed the Grizzly Run Bank day before yesterday, and now they'll be getting further away every minute. Oh, Judas J. Iscariot, of all the dumb, bone-headed jackasses! He, 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 I said cynically. You must think I ain't got no sense. If you're the sheriff, whereat's your star? It was on my suspenders, he said despairingly. When you hauled me out by the leg, my suspenders caught on something and tore off. If you'll let me look amongst them ruins, you sit still, I commanded. You can't fool me. You're Tranchler Bixby yourself. Sheriff Hopkins told me so. Him and the posse will be here in a little while. Set still and shut up. We stayed there, and the feller, which claimed to be the sheriff, moaned and pulled his hair and shed a few tears, and the other fellers tried to convince me they was deputies until I got tired of their gab and told them to shut up or I'd bend my Winchester over their heads. I wondered why Hopkins and them didn't come, and I'd begun to get nervous, and all at once the fellow which said he was the sheriff gave a yell that startled me so I jumped and nearly shot him. He had something in his hand and was waving it around. See here? His voice cracked. He hollered so loud. I found it. It must have fell down in my shirt when my suspenders busted. Look at that, you darn mountain grizzly. I looked, and my flesh crawled. It was a shiny silver star. Hopkins said he lost his'n, I said weakly. Maybe you found it in the brush. You know better, he bellered. 
You're one of Bixby's men. You was sent to hold us here while Tarantula and the rest made their getaway. You'll get ninety years for this. I turned cold all over as I remembered them horses I heard galloping. I'd been fooled. This was the sheriff. That pot-bellied thug which shot at me had been Bixby hisself, and whilst I held up the real sheriff and his posse, them outlaws was riding out of the country. Now wasn't that a caution? You better give me that gun and surrender, opined Hopkins. Maybe if you do, they won't hang you. Set still, I snarled. I'm the biggest sap that ever straddled a mustang, but even saps has their feelings. You ain't going to put me behind no bars. I'm going up this slope, but I'll be watching you. I've throwed your guns over in the brush. If any of you makes a move toward em, I'll put a harp in his hand. Nobody craved a harp. They set up a chant of hate as I backed away, but they sat still. I went up the slope backwards till I hit the rim. Then I turned and ducked into the brush and run. I heard em cussin' something awful down in the holler, but I didn't pause. I come to where I'd left Cap'n Kid and forked him and rode, thankful them outlaws had been in too big a hurry to steal him. I throwed away the rifle they give me and headed west. I aimed to cross Wild River at Ghost Canyon and head into the uninhabited mountain region beyond there. I figured I could dodge a posse indefinite once I got there. I pushed Cap'n Kid hard, cussing my reins which had been notched by Bixby's bullet. I didn't have time to fix him, and Cap'n Kid was an iron-jawed outlaw. He was sweating plenty when I finally hove in sight of the place I was heading for. As I topped the canyon's crest before I dipped down to the crossing, I glanced back. There was a high notch in the hills, a mile or so behind me. As I looked, three horsemen was etched in that notch against the sky behind them. I cussed fervently. Why hadn't I had sense enough to know Hopkins and his men was bound to have horses tied somewheres near? They got their mounts and followed me, figuring I'd aim for the country beyond the Wild River. It was about the only place I could go. Not wantin' no runnin' fight with no sheriff's posse, I raced recklessly down the sloping canyon wall, busted out of the bushes, and stopped short. Wild River was on the rampage bank full in the narrow channel and boiling and foaming. Been a big rain somewhere away up on the head, and the horse wasn't never foaled which could swamp it. It wasn't but one thing to do, and I done it. I wheeled Cap'n Kid and headed up the canyon. Five miles up the river there was another crossing, with a bridge, if it hadn't been washed away. Cap'n Kid had a second wind, and we was going lickety-split when suddenly I heard a noise ahead of us, above the roar of the river and the thunder of his hooves on the rocky canyon floor. We was approaching a bend in the gorge when a low ridge run out from the canyon wall, and beyond that ridge I heard guns banging. I heaved back on the reins, and both of them snapped in two. Captain Kidd instantly clamped his teeth on the bit and bolted, like he always done, when anything out of the ordinary happened. He headed straight for the bushes at the end of the ridge, and I leaned forward and tried to get hold of the bit rings with my fingers, but all I done was swerving from his course. 
Instead of following the canyon bed on around the end of the ridge, he went right over the rise, which sloped on that side. It didn't slope on the other side. It fell away abruptly. I had a fleeting glimpse of five men crouching among the bushes on the canyon floor with guns in their hands. They looked up, and Captain Kidd braced his legs and slid to a halt at the lip of the low bluff, and simultaneously bogged his head and throwed me head over heels down amongst them. My boot heel landed on somebody's head, and the spur knocked him cold and blame near scalped him. That partially busted my fall, and it was further cushioned by another fellow which I landed on in a sitting position, and which took no further interest in the proceedings. The other three fell on me with loud, brutal yells, and I reached for my forty-five and found to my humiliation that it had fell out of my scabbard when I was throwed. So I rizzed with a rock in my hand and bounced it off of the head of a fellow who was fixing to shoot me, and he dropped his pistol and fell on top of it. At this juncture, one of the survivors put a buffalo gun to his shoulder and sighted, then, evidently fearing he'd hit his companion, which was carving at me on the other side with a bowie knife, he reversed it and run in, swinging it like a club. The man with the knife got in a slash across my ribs, and I then hit him on the chin, which was how his jawbone got broke in four places. Meanwhile, the other swung at me with his rifle, but missed my head and broke the stock off across my shoulder. Irritated at his persistency in trying to brain me with the barrel, I laid hands on him and throwed him head on against the bluff, which is when he got his fractured skull and concussion of the brain, I reckon. I then shook the sweat from my eyes, and glaring down, recognized the remains as Bixby and his gang. I might a knew they'd head for the wild country across the river, same as me, only place they could go. Just then, however, a clump of bushes parted near a river bank, and a big black-bearded man riz up from behind a dead horse. He had a six-shooter in his hand, and he approached me cautiously. "'Who are you?' he demanded. "'Where'd you come from?' "'I'm Breckenridge Elkins,' I answered, mopping the blood off of my shirt. "'What is this here business, anyway?' "'I was settin' here peaceable, waitin' for the river to go down so I could cross,' he said, "'when up rode these yeggs and started shootin'. "'I'm an honest citizen. You're a liar,' I said with my usual diplomacy. "'You're Joel Carn, the worst outlaw in the hills. "'I seen your picture in the post office at Chaudier.' "'With that he pinted his forty-five at me, "'and his beard bristled like the whiskers of an old timber wolf.' "'So you know me, eh?' he said. "'Well, what are you going to do about it, eh? "'Want to collect the reward money, eh?' "'Nah, I don't,' I said. "'I'm an outlaw myself now. "'I just run foul of the law account of these skunks. "'There's a posse right behind me.' "'They is,' he snarled. "'Why didn't you say so? "'Here, let's catch these fellows' horses and light out. "'Cheapskates!' They claimed I double-crossed them in the matter of a stagecoach hold-up we pulled together recently. I've been avoiding them because I'm a peaceful man by nature, but they rode on to me unexpected today. They shot my horse first crack. We've been trading lead for more than an hour without doing much damage. 
But they'd have got me eventually, I reckon. Come on, we'll pull out together. No, we won't, I said. I'm an outlaw by force of circumstances, but I ain't no murderin' bandit. Pretty particular your company, ain't you? he sneered. Well, anyways, help me catch a horse. Yours is still up there on that bluff. The day's still young. He pulled out a big gold watch and looked at it. It was one which wound with a key. I jumped like I was shot. Where'd you get that watch? I hollered. He jerked up his head, kind of startled, and said, My grandpap give me it. Why? You're a liar, I bellered. You took that off of my Uncle Garfield. Give me that watch. Are you crazy? he yelled, going white under his whiskers. I plunged for him, seeing red, and he let go. Bang! I got it in the left thigh. Before he could shoot again, I was on top of him and knocked the gun up. It banged, but the bullet went singing up over the bluff, and Captain Kidd squealed and started changing ends. The pistol flew out of Kern's hand, and he hit me violently on the nose, which made me see stars. So I hit him in the belly, and he grunted and doubled up, and come up with a knife out of his boot, which he cut me across the bosom with, and also in the shoulder and arm, and kicked me in the growin'. So I swung him clear of the ground, and throwed him head first, and jumped on him with both feet. And that settled him. I picked up the watch where it had fell, and staggered over to the cliff, spurting blood at every step like a stuck hog. At last my search is at an end, I panted. I can go back to Ellen Reynolds, who patiently awaits the return of her hero. It was at this instant that Captain Kidd, which had been stung by Kyrne's wild shot and was trying to buck off his saddle, bucked himself off the bluff. He fell on me. The first thing I heard was bells ringing. Then they turned to horses galloping. I sat up and wiped off the blood which was running into my eyes from where Captain Kidd's left hind hoof had split my scalp. Then I seen Sheriff Hopkins, Jackson, and Partland come tearing around the ridge. I tried to get up and run, but my right leg wouldn't work. I reached for my gun, and it still wasn't there. I was trapped. Look there, yelled Hopkins, wild-eyed. That's Bixby on the ground, and all his gang. And ye gods, there's Joel Cairn. What is this, anyhow? It looks like a battlefield. And what's that sitting there? He's so bloody, I can't recognize him. It's the hillbilly, yelped Jackson. Don't move or I'll shoot you. I already been shot, I snarled. Go on, do your worst. Fate is against me. They dismounted and stared in awe. Count the dead, boys, said Hopkins in a still small voice. Ah, said Partland, ain't none of them dead, but they'll never be the same men again. Look. Bixby's coming, too. Who done this, Bixby? Bixby cast a wabbly eye about till he spied me. Then he moaned and shriveled up. He done it, he wailed. He trailed us down like a bloodhound and jumped on us from behind. He tried to scalp me. He ain't human. And he bust into tears. They looked at me and all took off their hats. Elkins, said Hopkins in a tone of reverence, I see it all now. 
They fooled you into thinking they was the posse and us the outlaws, didn't they? And when you realized the truth, you hunted them down, didn't you? And cleaned them out single-handed. And Joel Carn too, didn't you? Well, I said groggily, the truth is... We understand, Hopkins soothed. You mountain men are all modest. Hey, boys, tie up them outlaws whilst I look at Elkin's wounds. If you'll catch my horse, I said, I gotta be riding back. Gee whiz, man, he said, you ain't in no shape to ride a horse. Do you know you got four busted ribs, a broke arm, one leg broke and a bullet in the other, to say nothing of being slashed to ribbons? We'll rig up a litter for you. What's that you got in your good hand? I suddenly remembered Uncle Garfield's watch, which I'd kept clutched in a death grip. I stared at what I held in my hand, and I fell back with a low moan. All I had in my hand was a bunch of busted metal, broken wheels and springs, bent and smashed plumb beyond recognition. Grab him, yelled Hopkins. He's fainted. Plant me under a pine tree, boys, I murmured weakly. Just carve on my tombstone. He fit a good fight, but fate dealt him the joker. A few days later, a melancholy procession wound its way up the trail into the Humboldts. I was packed on a litter. I told them I wanted to see Ellen Reynolds before I died, and to show Uncle Garfield the ruins of the watch, so he'd knowed I'd done my duty as I seen it. As we approached the locality where my home cabin stood, who should meet us but Jim Braxton, which tried to conceal his pleasure when I told him in a weak voice that I was a dying man. He was all dressed up in new buckskins, and his exuberance was plumb disgustful to a man in my conditions. Too bad, he said. Too bad, Breckenridge. I hope to meet you, but not like this, of course. Your pap told me to tell you if I seen you about your Uncle Garfield's watch. He thought I might run into you on my way to Chaud Ear to get a license. Eh? I said, pricking up my ears. Yeah, me and Ellen Reynolds is going to get married. Well, as I started to say, seems like one of them bandits which robbed the stage was a fella whose dad was a friend of your Uncle Garfield's back in Texas. He recognized the name on the watch and sent it back, and it got here the day after you left. They say it was jealousy which made me rise up on my litter and fracture Jim Braxton's jawbone. I denies that. I stoops to no such petty practices. What impelled me was family conventions. I couldn't hit Uncle Garfield. I had to hit somebody and Jim Braxton just happened to be the nearest one to me. End of Guns of the Mountains